It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I was just gushing over Howard Stern today. Uh, having to do with his interview with Bruce Springsteen. Why? Because Scarborough is having Stern on tomorrow. And I've got to say, in contrast with his, you know, old shock jock image, I mean, Stern does enormous, he has interviewed just about every major musician, Paul McCartney and others, as well as other celebrities. And this interview with Springsteen, which was two hours and 20 minutes, I don't remember if I talked about this or not, but I found it riveting absolutely riveting. Now, a big part of that is that Springsteen was the combination of a, a well-prepared interviewer and somebody who's willing to play, um, just knock my socks off. A quick tidbit or two. One, Springsteen said that many of his most famous songs, Thunder Road and others, uh, and on the piano. And when you listen to them, you can see that there's a strong piano part. The reason, he said, was that he was broke. His aunt had an old piano uh, like an old, you know, not particularly sophisticated piano. And she gave and so he's sitting there in his apartment writing on the the aunt's, uh, you know, crude piano because he had. Also, he talked about how his father uh, never thought he would make it, was a, a emotional guy who didn't give him much love, and that has always, and Stern said the same thing about his dad. So, logical insert. Excuse me. Um, hallelujah. There is some accountability in journalism, sometimes. The Press has fired uh, investigative reporter James Laporta a week ago that this guy was one of the source in a story that claimed that a Russian missile definitely killed those two Polish civilians. And let me just pause there, you know, Anonymous sources are sometimes absolutely indispensable investigative reporting, but they're so overused now. And this was faster because NATO concluded it was likely a Ukrainian missile that went off course. And no proof ever emerged that it was Russia, but the Associated Press went with the story. AP wouldn't comment on, not even to say like he's no longer with us, but did issue the statement to the Beast uh, the rigorous editorial standards and practices of the AP are critical to AP's mission as an independent news organization to ensure our reporting is accurate and fact-based. We abide by and enforce those standards, including around the use of anonymous sources, because the AP requires two sources for confirmation, and obviously that was not the case here. You know, I was just at Amazon. It's become a lot less useful in trying to order things. And here comes the Wall Street Journal with this piece saying that now consumer confidence or enthusiasm in the online retailer has slipped. The number of Amazon customers who say they were extremely, or the company in a recent survey has fallen 79% this year. Uh, the number reached a low of 65% in 2020 during the pandemic, but is down from the peak of 88% almost a decade ago. So what's what's going on here? 
Um, the slip in the surveys could reflect a number of issues, including customer service concerns and frustration over search results because Amazon has expanded the pool of third-party sellers to use its platform, and maybe some of them aren't really good. Um, for 20 years, uh, one e-commerce guru was quoted as saying, it was customer obsession at any cost. Now it's customer obsession at the right cost because you go to Amazon and you're looking for something. This happened to me twice with two different products that I wanted. They had every variation except the one I wanted. Uh, one was for a portable heater, for example. And so at the top now is always ads for, I don't know, to buy six packs of Coke and there'll be an ad for Pepsi. But you got to scroll down past the ads because otherwise they're just trying to make money by promoting other stuff that you're not. CBS, I just don't get this. I mean, not only, what is it now? Uh, about two years after the New York Post first reported on Hunter Biden's laptop, but also many months since the New York Times and Washington Post belatedly said, yes, we have authenticated this. The laptop is real. It wasn't Russian disinformation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, CBS has come out and said, we have confirmed the author. Why sort of treat it as a victory lap? Getting a lot of heat from uh, conservatives. Um, the report was done by Catherine Herridge, my former Fox colleague, who's very well sourced in that world. So I don't know whether she wasn't asked to do this, before, busy with other things. But she reports the laptop we had analyzed showed no evidence it was faked or tampered. And she said no evidence that President Biden directly benefited from his son's overseas business dealings. I think the House will have a lot to uh, say about that when they start their investigations. Story number one. Um, Jack Smith, the newly appointed special counsel in the DOJ investigations. Listen to this. He's taking some heat. I guess the Daily Caller first put this out. Because he's married to a documentary filmmaker who worked on a 2020 film about Michelle Obama and donated to Joe Biden's 2020 campaign. Her name is Katie Shervigny. Uh, she was a producer on Becoming, and she donated 1000 bucks to Biden for president in the last campaign, another 1000 to the victory, uh, Biden Victory Fund. Uh, already, Republican Congressman Andrew Clyde is out with saying you can't make the wife of Jack Smith donated to Joe Biden's campaign. America cannot stand with a corrupt, two-tiered justice system. So hold on. This woman has her own career. She is a filmmaker, so she gave him some money. That doesn't mean that Jack Smith agrees with her. She is entitled to her own career. There are a lot of couples. I remember the days of, you know, when James Carvel and Mary went on TV and argued with each other, who don't agree with each other politically. And even if Jack Smith privately is, how has he done in his job? And there was a point when he, when he was heading the public integrity section at DOJ, uh, tried to go after John Edwards, the Democratic presidential candidate who ended up, you know, getting his girlfriend pregnant during the campaign. And here's where I see the hypocrisy. 
when there was questions being raised about Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who was a conservative activist in her own right and who was involved in talking to people about, uh, you know, trying to overturn the election after January 6th and before. A lot of conservatives came out and said, you can't hold Justice Thomas responsible for what his wife does. And I actually agree with that. He does what he does on the bench. And she had her own career. Now, she did ultimately the January 6th committee. But I don't think you can blame the husband for the activities of an independent career wife or vice versa. Some of those same people are like, oh, Jack Smith, he must be so biased. And I think that's unfair. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Number two, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is uh, hitting back at uh, Kevin McCarthy. She did this yesterday. Washington Post has a story up after he renewed a threat to the House Foreign Affairs Committee for what he called repeated anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks. Now, let's get this straight. This is payback. This is payback by Kevin McCarthy because the Democrats in controlling the House in this Congress um, kicked Marjorie Taylor Greene off all her committees, despite a plea from McCarthy. And by the way, he says that she will have her committee assignments restored. You bet she in McCarthy's efforts just to become speaker and also as a representative of the hard right and, in her case, celebrity wing of the GOP. So what does uh, Ilhan Omar have to say about this? McCarthy's effort to repeatedly single me out for scorn and hatred, including threatening to strip me from my committee, does nothing to address the issues our constituents deal with. What it does is gin up fear against Somali Americans, and anyone who shares my identity and further divide us along racial and ethnic lines. It's a continuation of a sustained campaign against Muslim voices. She was born in Somalia, but she's an American citizen. Um, McCarthy said he's going to keep that project. I promise. He said, I remember what she said about Israel. I remember about the relationship. Last year as speaker, she would no longer be on foreign affairs. Now, here's the thing. The Democrats, at the time kind of agree with her. Um, she ultimately had to apologize about the Benjamin's baby, $100 bill uh, for supporters of Israel. Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership at that time called out Omar's, quote, use of anti-Semitic tropes and prejudicial accusations about, you know, tells you what you need to know. It wasn't just Kevin McCarthy who's saying this. It was Nancy Pelosi and Democrats. Number three, a lot to say here about Elon Musk. Elon Musk announced on relaunching Blue Verified. This is the whole $8 a month um, membership or subscription service. He had been saying November 29th. Well, now he's dropping either that, even that. We will hold off until there is high confidence of stopping impersonation. Well, that he screwed it up. Doesn't put it that way, but it was rushed out too soon. All kinds of crazy people got verified. 
And he said, okay, end of the month. And now he can't even promise that. So it was a mistake. It was a big mistake. And had he taken a little more time, uh, maybe the mistake would not have occurred like that. So who knows when we'll see this. Um, he also said that uh, use different colored checks for organizations versus individuals. He says Twitter this past week generates so much controversy. He says stuff, and then people criticize him, and then he defends himself, and then people go on Twitter to find out what it's all about. Musk said the company is done with layoffs and is actively recruiting for roles in engineering and sales. Uh, and please refer people to according to a partial recording. In terms of critical hires, I would say people who are great at writing software are the highest priority. He was asked about, would you move from California to Texas? He said, if I did that, it would play into the idea that Twitter has gone from being left-wing to right-wing, which is not the case, Musk says. This is not a right-wing takeover of Twitter. It is a moderate-wing takeover of Twitter. He went on to say that to be the digital town square, we must represent people with a wide array of views, even when we disagree with those views. He wasn't people who had uh, criticized him on the Slack messaging system. Now, the way in which people on the left are going after Musk is just friggin' unbelievable. Here is MSNBC's Anand Gira Dehardas. It's a policy choice to allow billionaires like Elon massive amounts of wealth and massive amounts of power. A billionaire like Musk only exists uh, on MSNBC because the U.S. prioritizes having billionaires over having dignity for all people. Okay, so if this guy doesn't think that he should be billionaires at all, fine, more power to him. Going after Elon Musk, the billionaire, Zuckerberg, uh, the billionaire, shouldn't be able to run Facebook. Did he come out and say that Jeff Bezos, the billionaire, I mean, obviously multi, multi, multi billionaires in, in both cases, he said there's something we often forget as Americans is that billionaires exist as a class of people who have that much money at our collective pleasure. Okay. Now, he also criticized Musk for allowing Kanye West back on after a couple of his tweets, I guess, got him temporarily suspended. The anti-Semitic stuff, of course. Now, here's MSNBC Ben Collins. It's also going after Musk. I think he's trying to get as many users as possible really upset on his platform, get them to see the car crash, get them to crowd around it, and then see what he can do. He finished his report by saying viewers shouldn't, you know, indulge in what's happening in Twitter. He said, Twitter's just a, web just a website. It's optional. You go there. So here you have an MSNBC reporter urging people essentially not to patronize Twitter. Now, Musk is continuing. It's not just Donald Trump, which we've talked about, has been reinstated, hasn't tweeted yet. I've read that Trump is trying to figure out how he can go back on Twitter while honoring his commitments to Truth Social, where, which is guaranteed it's either a six or an eight hour exclusive or advance on anything that he posts on social media. That's not that seems so hard to get around. Um, he has now restored Marjorie Taylor Greene's non-congressional Twitter account. So, you know, it would be really good if Elon Musk could find the liberal persuasion who is banned and restore that account so it doesn't look like he's only doing this for conservatives. But, you know, obviously Twitter with a left-wing staff um, did mostly go after conservatives. 
either banning or shadow banning and that sort of thing. That he can't continue to do this, to be the chief officer in every single case. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story four. I guess the question is, will Donald Trump have to run against a crowded field of Republicans in 2024? Look, he's obviously the front runner. He's also the only declared candidate. And it now seems kind of inevitable that a bunch of people may get in, which of course would have the effect of splitting the anti-Trump vote and virtually guaranteeing that Donald Trump will waltz to the nomination with a plurality of vote. That's all I need. It's reminiscent of 2016. A lot of people are making noises about jumping in. Some will wind up not running. For others, the water seems just fine. Um, and so the media, it's funny, the media have absolutely concluded, looking at polls and other information, that Donald Trump can't possibly win a general election. However, filled with speculation now about who his running mate will be. Uh, Carrie Lake, who ended up narrowly losing her race for Arizona governor, went to Mar-a-Lago, and she's widely touted as a possible ticket mate. I mean, she's telegenic, former anchor, and she is all in on Trump's rigged election, election crusade, as any VP pick would have to be. Remember when uh, Trump told, I think it was Blake Masters in a phone call, uh, you ask her, you know, how's the weather? She says the election was stolen. Carrie Lake just released a video saying she's challenging her loss. She only lost by 20,000. Uh, and strongly implying that fraud was, we'll see where that goes. Now, the best thing from the point of those who don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee in tour would be a one-on-one -on -one with Ron DeSantis, who's going to sit back for the next six months and deal with his legislative session and tell But, you know, here's uh, some of the people who are uh, making moves, shall we say. Um, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, and also Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who's very popular in his blue state, uh, stepping down at the end of two terms, and saw Governor Asa Hutchinson. Now, for Haley, Pence, and Christie, they were part of Trump's administration and would have to kind of explain that. So Pompeo, former Secretary of State, took a shot at his former boss saying, we were told we'd get tired of winning, but I'm tired of losing. But he was there, you know, even at the end of Trump's term, saying we're going to have a transition to a second Trump term. Nikki Haley, I think, would be a very attractive candidate. She won praise as South Carolina governor. She was U.N. ambassador. But she left two years before January 6th. So she criticized Trump sharply last year. She kind of broke with him. But she seemed more happy about whether she's actually going to run. Now, Pence, who, as you know, just called out Trump for endangering his life with reckless actions at the Capitol riot, he just has this built-in liability. The people who like what he did in refusing to block Joe Biden's Electoral College certification can't stand the fact that he was a loyal VP for years. The people who like his loyal service don't like what he did on January 6th. So that's... Um, take on this. And Chris Christie is actually the only guy who has called Trump by name. And this is part of his shtick. Remember, they were friends for a long time. Uh, he endorsed him. He was going to run the transition team. Then he got bounced. 
And Christie says, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we can't act like we can't mention his name. Uh, Donald Trump would be a disaster for the Republican Party and so forth, and he obviously uh, eyeing very strongly another run for president. So, you has a pretty tough piece on this, and and throwing in all kinds of other Cruz, Marco Rubio, Brian Kemp, Greg Abbott, Glenn Youngkin, and uh, Michael Brendan Doherty writes, nobody wants this. He says that, uh, were you longing for those debate nights when the field was split into two groups of 10 or more candidates making their cases? Every new entrant lowers the bar for others. Uh, he goes on to say that we already know the Republican Party has plenty of mediocrities. Let's not wreck the executive branch by turning them all out in the pageant show. But, you know, it's showbiz and politics. The show must go on. Look, some of these folks won't run. Some of them won't make it to Iowa. And story number five. Politico has a piece saying, Politico, (laughs) before I begin this, Politico and a couple of websites are sort of obsessed with Ron Klain. Ron Klain, chief of staff, chief communicator, and so forth. Um, If there had been a red wave, Klain would have been blamed. He would have been clobbered. You know, you're the guy who set the strategy. You're the top aide. What you do didn't work. Instead, there's, you know, who set the strategy about democracy. We are going to talk about abortion. We are going to give progressives their say, which a lot of people felt took Biden too far to the left. But he did, you know, obviously get some bipartisan compromise. So here's the political piece. Biden is enjoying an extended period of peacetime with the progressive wing of his party. But keeping it that way may depend on whether he can keep hold of his chief of staff. Progressives are openly rooting on claim to stay on as Biden's top aide. And they view the veteran and expected midterms as vindication of the president's decision to pursue an expansive agenda. There's a quote from AOC praising Ron Klain, and he's such a good ambassador to our folks. Klain has become a critical conduit between liberal leaders and the administration's upper echelon. He offers a level of access the left has rarely enjoyed. Okay, so now we get to, so why are they writing this piece? Uh, the outpouring support comes amid growing over whether Klain will exit the House. Okay, but then we get to the only real news in this piece. Biden has asked Klain to stay on. A person familiar with the matter told Politico. So if the president of the United States, with how, you know, he's still kind of jabbing the press on the red wave that didn't happen, is pleased with the chief of staff and asked him to stay on, what's the speculation? They're just ginning it up. Um, the relentless engagement has at times unsettled more moderate Democrats. Klain got into it with Joe Manchin at one point. Yeah, that's true. Um, there is less faith in the rest of Biden's inner circle to push progressive priorities. Uh, among other aides who are for, focused on the moderate wing. Okay, as far as I can see, one reason that Ron Klain would leave. Remember, he's a longtime Biden loyalist. And that would be burnout. That these are high-intensity jobs, and especially the way Klain does it, where... He's, you know, he's the chief on Twitter. 
Um, he is the chief liaison of progressives. He also, um, you know, sets policy and, and politics and everything else at that level of intensity. Uh, doesn't mean he'll stay on another two years, or he might, you know. I mean, the loyalty might be that great. You figure, you know, this is my one shot. Once I leave, you know, I'm never going to do this again. I will go back to the private sector. He worked for Steve Case. And, uh, you know, the question is how long can you do it, the toll on your family and all of that. So that's the question. But I don't know. Joe Biden asked him to stay on. They had a successful midterm in the sense that, look, they did lose the House, but only by a handful of votes and kept control of the Senate, which all the pundits got wrong, virtually all, I should say. Um, I don't really see the speculation except from Politico and a couple other places. All right. Uh, always appreciate your time here as we try to kind of surf the waterfront, deal with stuff that you will find useful, interesting, vital, entertaining, or just plain fun. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Apple iTunes is a good place to do it. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzBeater. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.